Hello, hello, and welcome back to Industry Town, brought to you by presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios and Actor Salon. We're doing something a little different this week. We've got a bit of a time capsule. So today's episode is one I've been wanting to release for a long time now, but I wasn't really sure the right time. It was recorded way back in early March, about five days before Shelter in Place hit LA. And uh, hopefully it's really refreshing to hear something that doesn't mention COVID even once. You get to hear two people who are pretty ignorant to what's to come. Uh, But the episode is evergreen uh, because it's not about a booking or a specific job. Instead, this was a conversation with one of the smartest guys I know all about entrepreneurship and business and, uh, well, business for creatives specifically. Today's guest is actor-turned-entrepreneur Brian Confer, the owner of The Headshot Truck and its wildly successful corporate offshoot, Capturely. This one uh, was an away game for me. Uh, Brian invited me to the beautiful Capturely Headshot Truck headquarters in North Hollywood. While I was there, I got a tour of the truck and the new photography studio they built in-house and it's all fantastic we talked about a ton of stuff uh, from brian's start as a child actor and what led him to eventually find a career pivot and embracing his entrepreneurial spirit to the work at headshot truck and capturely and advice on headshots and just a ton more so we got a good one for you so let's get to it here is brian confer lock it up very quiet and still ready Scene one, take three, A mark. Do you live in the world of nonfiction? Live, I, I really enjoy it. Like I feel I like imagine, in terms of the majority of the content that you're getting, whether it yeah. would be film, television, or streaming, what the fuck is television anymore, yeah. Yeah. podcasts, books, my guess is, do you gravitate more towards nonfiction? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel like that coincided with when you stopped acting or has that always been like a through line for you? I think it's always been a through line for me. I always enjoyed um, learning, right? And and getting new information about things that exist or things that could be true, like ancient aliens, for example. I mean, that's nonfiction. Not, that's fiction. That's fiction. Kind of? But theoretical. I like theory for sure. So yeah, I think uh, like, I never really read a lot of nonfiction unless I had to for school, honestly. Like everything else was either how to stuff or, yeah, I really just enjoyed history. But history and also like how to. So that means like, is that practical how to or is that self improvement how to? Is that. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, yeah, yes, now yes. it's self improvement how to, I think. I've been a lot more about that in terms of understanding more of who I am and where I'm going and what I'm doing and. So who are you reading? How I interact with people. Um, so I just finished a couple, like pretty some pretty basic books, but Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, is a okay. great one. Love her. Um, I'm reading The One Thing, and by reading I mean I haven't read yet, but like two pages into the one. But what, so if what, anyone sees you, they should quiz you on this. They should quiz me on on yeah, the one thing. Sure. Your homework. What I just, you know, a guy that I didn't really follow that I do now is is named Seth Godin. Oh yeah, um, Seth. Incredible. Yeah. From reading, we just read Free Prize Inside, and it's like changed my whole perspective i admit i've not actually read seth godin 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 i i say godin um my business partner evans worked with him and he says godin well, so that's I'm probably say, the right yeah, thing i want yeah. to sound fancy so i'm gonna say godin 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 um seth godin seth godin uh but i heard him on brian Koppelman's podcast he goes on oh, like yeah. once a year or something and they just talk about creativity and i feel like in my dream world that is that's like the ultimate podcast episode to aspire to because both of these people come with just this like 
intense wealth of interesting questions that they've really put this like thought into about the nature of creativity and art yeah, yeah. and why people do it and where people get stuck and process. And it just seems like two masters being like, cool, I will see you at the, uh, at high noon and we will, we will do this. That's the best. I, I, at one point I thought about, I, I totally agree with you. I love that. I'd love to see like Twitter conversations between people like that like start mm -hmm. a, a topic and then just have maybe even a group of people just like yeah maybe it and i guess podcasts have kind of become that in a way right like a, a, a way for people to be able to have these kind of conversations about whatever topics they want and people can kind of eavesdrop on that conversation as if like they heard it in a bar and it's like oh I, i'm interested in that one yeah choose it yeah um well first let me just get this right here but yeah. i've been saving this Oh, I love that sound. Oh, yeah. That's a LaCroix. And this is a open plug for me saying, LaCroix, sponsor Industry Town. Please sponsor it, LaCroix. <sighs> Enjoy LaCroix. Tangerine. Tangerine. It's a good one. You know there's a new flavor. Apparently, there's a new watermelon flavor. Whoa. And uh, I don't know if it's made it to the West Coast yet, but yeah. Does it start on the East Coast? Where does it start? I, I, you know, I don't know, but I know that my girlfriend's brother has it in South Carolina. Okay. That's all I know. Okay. So the birthplace of uh, Watermelon LaCroix and the rebirth of Joe Biden's campaign. Perfect. That's right. Um, so I didn't do a proper introduction because we were kind of uh, waiting on some other setup and we just kind of started going. So um, we've already covered this in the actual intro to the podcast, but welcome to Industry Town, Brian Confer. Hey, thanks so much, B. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a little while. Um, and we want to talk a lot about entrepreneurship and business and things like that. Um, but I want to start with you as someone who has, has stopped acting. Yeah. You are, you are on the other side and you were looking back and you're saying that was fun. That was cool, but I'm happy to be out of the game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough when you kind of, when you kind of decide to get to, to not make it your primary focus. You know, I was a kid actor. Yeah. Start us off. Where, yeah. How sure. did this so, begin? Where? Take us back. To I was where? born in a small town in Indiana. Not small, not that small. Indianapolis. Is this Stranger Things? Um, that's about this to happen? Is, honestly, like Stranger Things, it's so, oh my gosh, nostalgic watching that movie. But um, yeah, I was a kid actor and was auditioning for a bunch of like big movies back when I was a little kid, like Casper. I always got pretty far in Casper and, and a couple other movies. To be Casper, right? To be Casper. And when I found out that that I would be Christina Ricci's uh, my first crush. Love and, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. First crush. I ah. Love that. Right. Yep. And some movie with Burt Reynolds, I almost booked and some other stuff. But anyway, um, please you, say that was cop and a half. Please say that. No, that's a, that's a black kid. So that probably was not going to be your part. It was cop and a half. Was it cop and a half? They changed that oh my script. God. They did. So I, the, the, the story I got after yeah. literally doing every scene in that movie, uh, without Burt Reynolds, but, uh, was that he found this kid and thought the kid was awesome. Uh, and they rewrote the movie. Originally he was going to fall in love with, like he was going to mentor this kid, right? He got in trouble and the kid, he like yeah. was sort of given this duty and then he falls in love with the kid's mom and they live happily ever after. But that was the, that was the movie. But okay. then it changed at some point. And uh, it became what it what it was, but yeah, cop and a half. That's wild, cop and a half. Holy cow! I probably that was one of those movies that at some point in my life I just watched on repeat, and I think it was weird for my mom. She's like, "You're watching a is that a Burt Reynolds child comedy?" Yeah, I I refused to watch it. Um, I must say, I think I was a little bitter. I didn't realize that till now, but yeah. Oh man, did so, you ever see it? No, still haven't seen it. 
Should uh, we remedy that? Should we do like a live like listen to Cop and a Half? Like a we'll do a podcast while we watch along in the movie. I mean, it's something we could do. Okay, that's uh, on the list. But but yeah, so you know, I mean, like a lot of actors, right? We do it a lot of our lives. I was a theater major in college. I lived in New York and and Chicago, and so you've done it in different a long cities. Time. Yeah, and what, I loved it. What was your favorite city for acting? Uh. But that's a tough one, right? I think they all, New York was amazing because I was 21 and single. I was studying at Lee Strasberg, the Institute. Oh, you were doing you it. Know. Yeah. It was oh, doing God, yeah. it. Uh, got to see Pacino in the round in a very, very small theater and meet him. And, you know, I got to see, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley do true West you. on Broadway. Wow. I saw both ways, right? They switch parts like every third performance. So I got, I mean, so for seeing theater, I mean, nothing beats, beats New York and Broadway. And then Chicago was great because it really helped me get back into film and, and commercials. I started booking commercials nice. in Chicago and that's really what propelled me for out to LA. Um, but when I moved to LA, this was like pre-writer strike. Yep. This was like handing away SAG cards at the border <laughs> and you're going to be no problem. Just come on out. You're going to be SAG in no time. And I had a, a friend group, like I only knew one guy, but but he had a friend group that I became introduced to who turned out to be incredibly successful actors. At the time they were like starting to get there, but now they're like blowing up and huge and all that, like Ben McKenzie and oh, yeah. um, Jake Johnson and a bunch of those guys who are like just killing it, which is awesome. Um, but, but, you know, it was a bit more of a struggle for me, uh, maybe because I was, blonde 18 to 25 midwest there's like oh there's a million of me out here huh. um and then of course the writer strike happened and that that really set a lot of things back um did you feel like you saw a sharp change in the number of opportunities or your representation or all of that i think you know uh this was a time when the celebrities the the stunt casting was really primarily with series regulars right but then because there were a lot less shows, the, the, the celebrities were taking guest stars. And then those guest stars that were only taking guest stars are now taking co-stars. So the co-stars were going to those guest star actors primarily. And it became really difficult if you were trying to break through at that time. Yep. Um, and it was pre content, pre like actor content, right? There weren't the, the red, this was pre red cam. This is pre iPhone. This is pre all of that, like low budget filmmaking just wasn't really getting made. Um, Did you at the time have any ago. desire to do some of that stuff? Was it on your radar at all? Doing it, yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoyed doing it, but it took such a a lot of it took a lot of money. Yep. And to get anything quality, right? Everything else was like um, sixteen. What 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 was the what were the cameras that were being used back then? God, they were all. It it feels like a lifetime ago. Because it I does. Feel like back then, you weren't the red wasn't even being that widely used professionally, and none of that technology had started to like filter down. Right. Yeah. You just use your. I mean, right now you are filming this podcast on an iPad. It's in, you're right, it's and you incredible. have excellent quality of that. Yeah. I mean, people don't. I, I've been coaching auditions. We tape tons of auditions at the studio, and some people bring in their phones and say, "Can you just do it on this?" And then they have a little lav mic set up to it. And it's incredible. Done. And that and which is amazing, right? But yeah. back then it was more difficult. Anyway. Yeah. Tell me. Uh, so. I, I ended up, you know, meeting John Rosenfeld and uh, studied with him at Leslie Kahn and then moved with John um, along with Britt Rentschler and some of those other like early, early adopters. Mm -hmm. uh, Britt's one of my nearest and dearest. And, and, and a recent um, guest on the podcast. Yeah, I know. Amazing. I love it. She's, she's killing it. Yeah. And um, 
did amazing work. I, that was far and away my best class I've ever been in, was in for a couple of years, loved it, felt like I was doing good work, but it's it's hard. I, I, I struggled to get better representation. I struggled to get auditions and by struggled, I mean like if I got an audition every month, I was lucky. Yeah. And so it became a situation where I needed to survive in this town, which is, it's, it's difficult to do. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to have a really, really great day job. I, uh, I was doing sales. Um, I sold shoes for 11 years before moving to LA. I was like high school, college selling shoes. How did you end up selling job. shoes? Um, I, I, very few jobs can you get at like 15 or 16 years old. And I got a job in a sporting goods store and, um, I was the only one that knew anything about rollerblades. This tells you how long it was ago. And so they moved me over to the shoe department because that's where the rollerblades were. And um, why did I picture you as like a young DiCaprio and like Wolf of Wall Street selling like women's shoes in Bloomingdale's as like a 16 year old? Because I feel like um, that's a sh- that's a short. You're not right far there. off. Oh, I, I ended up in, in a, some small family of shoe stores doing exactly that and Amazing. then ended up working at Nordstrom. Um, selling shoes. So yeah, no, there's some, did people try to pick you up doing that job? It it happened once or twice. Uh, yeah, more, more with the employees, more with like, you know, other employees and thing, but, um, anyway, sales is in your blood. Sales is in my blood. And so you're able to rely on that as a lifeline while you're acting. Exactly. And, and I was fortunate enough to have a really great job that paid well. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of got down to, something I had a lot of control over, which is something I didn't have in my acting career. And I felt great about the work I was doing, but the opportunities just weren't coming. And I didn't know how much longer I could continue to do it without having some level of success. Um, because I was having it at a different part of my career that I did have a lot of control over. And your life is growing at that point. You're in a serious relationship. You own property. Like you were not someone right. to me who seemed like you wanted, it would have been fine to just stay in an apartment for, you know, with three other roommates for a long time, kind of living like you're in your early twenties. Some people don't mind that for a really long time, but you strike me as the type of person who wanted to continue to have their life uh, evolve in terms of your space, in terms of all of that stuff. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Yeah, I was, I was engaged and and then married and and uh, no longer. But that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. But yeah, I had a lot of responsibilities, but I also enjoyed it. I did want to have that kind of life. Yeah, and maintain that lifestyle. Not that it was incredibly expensive, but it was. Yeah, I own a property and and I had things. Yeah, I mean, you just you you lived a, a life that was a little bit more put together in certain places because I'm, right. I'm a really similar person. I would not be happy if I was still in the same uh, living situation that I was ten years ago, and that's not anything about the people or the space. I it's probably for me like programming from my parents and what I imagined adulthood to look like or what success feels like to me. Yeah, hundred percent. But that's I think exactly people have right. different different opinions on that, different limits on that stuff and and different values at the end of the day. And some of them allow for the, the bookings or the auditions to not come for a while. And it's like, well, this as it is with the side job, the side hustle that I've got is fine. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and it, it just at the end of the day, it wasn't enough for me. And what I realized, I think this is something a lot of young actors don't realize, but even something that you don't realize until you get deep in deeper into it is really the amount of work that it takes to build your career. It's, it's networking, it's right time, it's right place. It's 
studying with the right coaches. It's getting yourself in a room. It's thinking outside the box. It's doing a lot of your own content now. It's just the job of being an actor goes so far beyond auditioning or obviously, you know, so many people think it's just like, oh, I book and then I'm on set and then it's great and all that, right? But obviously we know that that's not the case. And, and but it takes getting there to, and, and this sort of self-realization to then be able to decide, is this really what I want to do or is it not? And I found that what I really loved about, not necessarily acting, but about the industry was more on the production side. Um, I, I enjoyed being able to put films together. I sort of had a knack on the sales side, so I was able to connect actors with directors, with scripts, with producers, with ultimately money. And that was really exciting to me because like, I could measure success. Things were happening faster. I could, then I figured, okay, maybe this is my path to success as an actor. If it's not sort of through the front door, maybe it's through a side door, right? Or a back door. And you're still being creative, but you're being creative where your brain tends to like being happy and where it tends to find a lot of its inspiration creatively. You always have business ideas. When I talk to you, your brain is always kind of grasping at kind of the next connection and that's wildly creative but it's a different use of creativity and i feel like that's a beautiful thing to get to find like oh well this outlet isn't very fulfilling to me but if i just redirect the faucet this way all of a sudden things just absolutely it's kind of walking through the open door you know and uh you're totally right. I, I love the business side of everything, which kind of led me to where we are now. And I'm, I'm really happy. I'd still love to act someday, but I know the level of commitment that takes. And I think it's, it would be not naive is not the right word, but, but I would be remiss if I didn't give it all of the attention it actually needs in order for it to be good. You know, like if somebody says, Oh, you have an audition tomorrow. Would you take it? Well, I wouldn't do it if I didn't know that I could actually give it everything it needed in order to, to be worth it. Not what just for I think me. I, you know? I think it's worth calling out here is that what you're talking about isn't acting in my point of view. What you're talking about is choosing to make your money from acting. And that is a, that's a style of living your life, but there's nothing stopping you from at some point being like, I'm going to do a play or I'm going to use some of the money from the job that I do and all this business creativity that I do to make a feature for myself or make a short for myself or do a groundlings class. And all of that is acting, right? All of that is acting. It is just not saying that by choice, the one thing I'm going to do is hope that my agent gets me an audition for Grey's Anatomy. You're absolutely right. And I think exactly. And I think, I think the opportunity will present itself, you know, when things are, when I'm settled and I feel good, my priority is, is, is stability in mm-hmm. certain ways, right? My job itself is unstable, right? As an entrepreneur and all this stuff, it's crazy all the day, all the time, but I need to have some level of stability. And so when I have that financially and otherwise, then I feel like it's going to open my creativity up to feel like I can actually do it rather than like holding on, hoping that it pays yeah. enough for me to keep going, you know? I want to tell you about Actor Salon, where we coach actors on the business side of acting and help them achieve their goals and their dreams. Did you know that you can audit one of our classes for free? Well, you can. Go to actorsalon.com, click on the free audit button, and that'll get you started. In our salons, we cover everything from basics like headshots, demos, finding rep, to the big scary topics like branding, relationship building, content creation, and marketing. 
Like, I know the business of the entertainment business can seem very complicated, but we also can simplify it. Like, did you know that being a professional actor means you're in sales? And sales can be boiled down to three simple concepts. Well, at least I think so. They are, what is your product? Is your product good enough? And do the people who buy your product know that it exists? Actor Salon is here to help you answer all of those questions and any others you have about your actor business. So go to actorsalon.com now to sign up for your free audit today. So the landscape changed underneath you. The opportunities are just not as there as you want. You're still happy with your work. How do you actually make the decision? Is it a bolt of lightning? Is it a really tough look in the mirror? Is it is it just a is it a drug trip gone right? <laughs> like what what is it that what is it that leads to not thinking about it but actually making a decision? It's all of those things, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I would say it wasn't a bolt of lightning, you know, really. I think I eventually just got tired. I eventually just got to a place where I'm like, I look at the measurables, right? I haven't had an audition in three months. My agent is not, I can't rely on my agent. This is a big thing for actors, right? We're sort of relying on your agent. So I realize I can't rely on them to get the work that I need. I'm going to need to go out and do this myself. And I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Like just kind of being real with myself. And I think that's important. All of us as actors, I think need to have a level of illusion or delusion in order to keep going. Absolutely. Right. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, do, do I really love this still? Is it an old story that I've told myself that I've just been sticking to because like I told my family I was going to come out to LA and make it. And then I changed the narrative. Happy. Does it make me happy? Really? It doesn't make like, me happy. And, and at the end, as right. a lifestyle and as a profession, not like, do I like acting? Or am I good at it? Or any of those things that people, I think, tend to mush together in that equation. But does the lifestyle of living in Los Angeles and sometimes auditioning for things really make me happy as it currently exists. Right. Yeah. And can I call myself an actor if I'm doing that really, you know, that's it, it, so it's, it is about perspective. It's about the narrative we tell each other. That one hits on something that I, I mean, it's okay for people to disagree, but that one always hits me where I feel like you don't have to be a, someone with an agent and a SAG card and an audition in the last number of weeks to be an actor. I just don't think that. I think that that is something that, I know so many brilliant actors who are like, fuck the audition carousel. I am out. But they make their own short film every now and again. They would do great in a play. Like, it's just, I feel yeah. like, I feel like there's a, maybe the word professional or, again, I think it's about a lifestyle almost. Like, do I want to live my life that way? My brother used to act. And the thing that, when he decided he didn't want to do it anymore, he said, I don't like the audition carousel and I don't really like set. And that really ruins most of professional acting. Oh, wow, yeah. He's like, I like acting. I, he was doing theater at Yale for, you know, his undergrad and was doing probably 20 plays a year. I think that was probably the happiest he ever was. He was great at it. He was getting to do these really exciting and challenging roles. And then it turned out that being a professional meant that Jake Gyllenhaal is going to do all of those. <laughs> and we'll call you when we need you. And maybe you won't right. be that interested in the things we even want you to do. And that was what led him towards writing. And I, I don't know. I just think that it doesn't mean you're not an actor. You know? that, no, you're right. It doesn't mean that. But I think so, maybe some of us tell, tell ourselves that. I ended up loving sitting in Video Village going like, that was good. That was good watching, yeah. you know, but I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad I gave it the shot. I did. I'm glad I committed to it. I've learned a tremendous amount about myself. I've met, I've made some incredible relationships and now I'm able to take 
the skills I've learned as an actor, being on stage, speaking to others, learning scripts, right, and sides and all of that, to be able to put that into things that I'm doing now, sort of being the face of this brand and out there speaking and teaching and learning and growing and all that, I feel like it's helped me tremendously in this next chapter of my life. So I'm, I'm grateful for everything I did. I don't look back with regret. I just, it, it's important to learn from it. And I feel like I have, you know? So you made the decision. Had you already started the headshot truck when you feel like you segued out or was the headshot truck after? So, so it's a great question. So when I when my job, I had that was doing paying really well, all of that, it ended overnight. We, we, some, some things changed in California that we could no longer operate in the state. Right. You're referencing a drug cartel, right? I'm referencing a drug cartel. It was very, very difficult for us. Um, I was a mule. Um, no, it was, it was a great company that I worked for, but we couldn't operate in California anymore. So here I was with a mortgage and, uh, expensive lifestyle that I had. I, you know, still the business, even though the business I was doing couldn't operate. And I said, I'm no, I'm not going to work for anybody else ever again. This was a company where I worked for a company, right. Yeah. And helped them grow to a, a very large, um, revenue stream, which was great and all of that. But I, I said, I'm, I'm don't want to work for anybody else again. I want to do this myself. And so, so I started, um, one company that failed, learned a tremendous amount from that, started another one failed. It's better to fail quickly. I've learned. Yeah. Um, but it was a very tumultuous time in my life. And then I heard that a guy who I was friends with, who had shot my headshots a couple of times, Adam Hendershot was starting a headshot truck. I was, um, I was sitting with a friend. She had asked me to come over and help her market, her photography business. She was starting to do headshots herself. And I, because I was a sales and kind of marketing guy, excuse me. Um, because I was a sales and marketing guy, she asked for my help and her husband was like, hey man, did you hear that Adam Hedershot's starting a headshot truck? I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, he's like creating like a food truck but shooting headshots and it. it's like a studio. And I literally looked at his wife and I go, I'm sorry, I can't help you, I have to go do that. <laughs> I just thought it was so genius because mobile business was very new. Mm -hmm. This was this was such an innovation in an industry that was really well established. And I really thought like great for actors. I was like, this is so cool for actors. And I learned a lot more about it and all of that. Um, I eventually figured, not eventually, I very quickly figured out that business professionals would actually be a very large revenue stream for us, which we ended up going with. That's, we can get there in a minute, but, but, so the, the truck already existed by the time I jumped in. I was like the fourth partner that came on, fourth equity partner for that company. So how are you surviving during this time? And you can just say pass on any of this too, but if you're deciding I'm not going to work for anyone else and you have a couple of businesses that don't catch right away, are you, um, are you going into credit card debt to do this? Are you like, where's the revenue to start a company? I feel like a lot of people, they might not have the skill or the idea, but let's say they have any piece of that. The idea to just say like, well, now it exists. I feel like that's yeah. a barrier of entry to people. So how is that? How are you sustaining yourself during that time? Well, there, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Uh, here's how I did it, which I would not recommend to anyone. Um, I sold my house and I cashed out my 401k. Um, and I took that money and I lived on it for about four and a half years as I built the headshot truck. So year one in the headshot truck, I made $10,000. Um, wow. year, year two, I made twenty. 
Um, and year three was like 28, 33, right? 40, whatever. So I was not making any money. So I will tell you like, probably don't do what I did. But um, it did happen and it did work and it did create a necessity to make it work. It did. It definitely lit a fire under. And yeah, I went into credit card debt. I mean, but this is the thing, right? Like as actors, you kind of do whatever you need to do in order to make it. Yeah. This became that for me. So what are the other ways to do it? Well, you know, you can try to raise money. I think what a lot of people do is vet out their ideas early um, or what they should do is like do a lot of research, mm -hmm. figure out what your product or service or business is. Um, try it, get an MVP out there, right? A minimum viable product and keep your day job sort of Explain like what a minimum viable product. It's just, it's basically the, um, the, the lowest, the, the entry level piece of your business that you could show someone that it either works or it doesn't. Right. So like, I'm trying to think of a good example of that, but in the product world, it would be like a prototype, right? Okay. It's like, what, what's the, what's the smallest amount here that I can spend to give me something that I can show someone and say, well, I've got a pretty damn good example work. for you. Are you yeah. talking about watermelon LaCroix, which you can get in South Carolina and LaCroix, hopefully sponsoring industry town. Um, but that's kind of that same idea, right? They market test something in a smaller community, maybe a couple States in this case. So it's a larger version, but they find out, does this sell? Do people like it? Yeah, absolutely. And it happens in the tech world a lot, right? Like, you know, a lot of tech companies are launched with no product or service whatsoever, but just an idea and some, some statistics, right? You got to learn about who your target market is, what's the, what's the revenue potential from all of that. And those things take a lot of time, essentially a business plan. And then you can go to investors to invest in your idea. Um, it better be solid, right? If anybody's going to put money into it, but it's going after investment. That's the other way to do it, which I did not do that. I bootstrapped, right? I used my own money. Yeah. Well, gosh, I do think though that, I mean, lots of people try to raise money for their business or their feature. It seems like the exact same thing, their web series. And yet people are way more likely to join you if you've done some of it yourself. It's even true on a Kickstarter. You know, you shoot a piece of the movie before you ask people to fund it. Sometimes you actually shoot right. the whole damn thing before you ask people to fund it. It's amazing. I'm, and, and that's a great example. I think, I think being able to crowdfund your projects is such a wonderful thing. Um, and there's so many reasons for that, but it's a built in audience too. It's know? true. I still stand by it though. If it's your own money and you don't have any more, if this thing does not turn profitable, the focus, the intensity with which you follow through the amount of stress and time that you will put into thinking about it to make sure it works. I feel like that is a, it might be risky, in fact, it is risky yeah. and it might be a certain amount of stress, but I wonder if there is a higher correlation of success with that. I agree. And at least you can say you gave it your all, you know, I think that's a big part of it, but, but you're right. If you're, if you're fully committed financially, um, you have a vested interest in making sure this thing exists, uh, and, or, or succeeds. And I've just learned a tremendous about, not just about myself, but about business. I've made a lot of mistakes um, that's cost a lot of money, right? All those kind of things have definitely happened. I mean, there's been a crazy, some crazy stories uh, about the headshot truck and sort of things, you know, on our Can last dollar. Um, there's a number of times where we were on our, our last dollar. We, we like could not be stretched out any further. And then a big shoot would come in, like a big corporate shoot that would, pay off some debt or so let's actually hold on for one second for anyone who doesn't know the headshot truck. I mean, we've talked obliquely about it a little bit, yeah. but what is the headshot truck, Brian? 
Well, the Headshot Truck is <laughs> the first mobile photography studio uh, based here in Southern California. And it's basically the, a, a truck the size of a food truck. It's actually a, an old bimbo bread truck um, that was bought, again, before my time and converted into a, a mobile photo studio. So there's a fully self-contained studio inside of the truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's used to shoot headshots. So that was that we had one one headshot truck, and then eventually we um, expanded into two and three. Okay, three trucks just going three around trucks. LA. Uh, it'd be great if if we'd have done it the right way. It would have been yeah. Let's let's dominate the LA market. Let's talk about a, a thing that we did wrong. Um, we Tell should me. have dominated the LA market first. I think we got really excited um, about the potential because it was growing so fast, and we wanted to see would this work in another market? Would it work? outside of actors, right? There's only so many actors in this country. Um, so we decided to go to New York as a second test. How many years in? Like two. Like That's super early. Super early. That is Way early. too early. Way too early. We got a, a very high interest third party lender loan, which was very stupid. And um, we bought another truck. And we sent our first truck to New York City to see if we could make it work. We did a, we did a Kickstarter. We raised like 20, 20,000 in pre in like pre-sale packages for actors primarily in New York city. And that's how we launched that truck. Um, but we learned very quickly that New York is a very different animal. One more break, but this time there's no sponsor. There's no sell, nothing to push except for me to just kind of hat in hand, vulnerably beg, Please vote. Please, please vote. Make a voting plan. Get it done early and then volunteer. If you need any help uh, researching that stuff, um, filling out your ballot, any of that stuff, go to votesaveamerica.com. There's a whole bunch of other wonderful resources, but I really do like that one. They can help you research your candidates, fill out your ballots, learn about propositions and all that good stuff. And it makes volunteering crazy easy. You can do it from your home. It's uh, They train you. It's... Um, it's easy and it's a great way to give back and uh, something to do with your nervous energy. Um, also, if you want to talk candidates or propositions, I'm looking at you, Prop22. Uh, DM me on Instagram and I'm happy to chat about with you. So, uh, yeah, please vote. Please, please, please vote. Okay, back to the show. Very different. And um, they did not respond incredibly well to our L.A. headshot style. Mm-hmm. They, nobody looks around in New York city, right? Part of the truck appeal is that like in LA it's driving down the street. It's like, Oh, whoa, that's cool. It's a big pink truck. New York city, like an elephant can be walking down Broadway and people will still be like looking straight ahead. It's incredible. So, so nobody saw it. Right. And it became like, how do we market this thing? And you need a tremendous amount of money to be able to break through in New York. Um, and ultimately it did not work in New York city. So where was the other place that you expanded to Atlanta? How'd that go there? It went better in Atlanta. We had a we had a partner uh, as who owned a piece of the company that was in Atlanta that ran that market. Um, but again, we found that actors actually weren't responding incredibly well to that because they want natural light outdoor headshots. Same with New York. And most of what we did, all of what we did with the headshot truck was studio lighting. Um, because so of, LA does way studio. more studio stuff than any of the other markets is what you're telling me. 
Not necessarily. I think New York does a lot of studio, but um, commercial is, is, is studio a lot of times, which is what we were initially known for, right? The big, bright backgrounds. Yeah. So the headshot truck, the, the, the reason why we created it or what it was created was really to provide a cost-effective solution for actors. Um, it was kind of like the headshot photographer for the people. And, and that's something we still really stick to, I think. It, um, because we, we were, I was an, as an actor and Adam was an actor too. We had shot with a lot of photographers who are incredible, incredible, but very expensive. Yeah. And the process of shooting headshots is very scary. It's stressful. Um, you know, you're going to spend a lot of money. You're going to buy not only headshots themselves, but makeup, retouching, printing at, at the time, nobody posting. prints anymore. All of posting, God forbid your agent doesn't like your photos. So there's so much stress and anxiety and money that goes into having a headshot. And, and we really wanted to provide a solution for actors that was cost effective, that didn't take all day. You know, there are a lot of photographers and, and again, they're phenomenal. Their photos are great, but you're, you're shooting for like four hours. Yeah. You're shooting or, or longer. You've got thousands of photos that you're shooting and you're freaking exhausted by the end of it. And so we said, and what it's if, no fun to go through thousands of them. I'd rather no, you're go absolutely through 300. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let me, let me get enough that are great mm -hmm. that I can send to my agent. And so that was kind of what we did with our packages. They were short. They were 20 minutes per, per, per look. Right. So they don't need to take an hour or two. And because everything was inside the truck, it was very streamlined. It was very efficient. Uh, you could see we had a monitor on the truck, which we still do. So you can see all your photos come up in real time as you take them instead of a two inch by two inch screen on yeah. the photographer's camera that they show you for like half a second. And then you're back to shooting again. Exactly. Right. We want to know right away. Does this work or does it not? If it doesn't, let's pull the background. Let's change the outfit. Let's do whatever. So that by the time the client leaves the truck they've seen the photos they know what they look like and they're going to be ready in five days they didn't spend a fortune and um that was kind of the idea of the truck we really wanted to be uh an innovative solution for actors you know that the innovation piece was obviously the truck but some of the other things we did too were really really smart and as an actor it responded to me and i said wow if we can help actors to get great quality photos without breaking the bank and do it quickly and easily and, and come to them potentially. Yeah. We, right. We set up around the, uh, around the city two or three days a week. So, you know, if you're in Santa Monica, you don't have to come to NoHo. Yeah. Um, and then we did a lot of partnerships with acting studios and actors key when that was around workshops and it became a really awesome, awesome thing. Um, the workshops kind of when the, when the whole cast director scandal happened, right. With all that stuff that went on that really affected our business too. I bet. Yeah. If you were kind of partners and your businesses were in bed, that, that definitely is going to affect you. So you said for a while that it wasn't making a ton of money. What do you feel like was that tipping point for you? How do you keep going? I mean, I guess you keep going cause you are seeing an improvement, but what is it that makes it go from, I don't know if this is going to be enough money again to yeah oh, this is gonna work this is gonna work well, i mean let me just say we are sitting in a beautifully renovated office uh we'll get to actually what this office is right now in the larger sure. brand but i mean this is not a small business here you basically have an entire compound here that has offices that has a full studio you have multiple trucks outside yeah. you have your own parking spaces in los angeles that's a real thing my friend and you've put this stuff together so how do we get from making 40 grand a year to here? 
Well, that, so it's great that that was what I was able to pay myself, right? Like the reality is the company was doing pretty darn well. Okay. We were growing, um, you know, like we got up to half a million in revenue as under the headshot truck. So you were making money with the headshot truck in terms of how much you're taking home. But the, the company was, was but we, we, we had, we were over leveraged, Brian. We, we had three trucks. We had a bunch of loans. We had high bills. We did not grow properly. We weren't smart. Um, there were a lot of things that we did wrong from a financial perspective, which led us and put us in a position where we were behind the eight ball, where we had to generate so much revenue just to stay afloat. So we were really, we cut off our nose to spite our face. We did a lot of things wrong where we really should have stuck to the basics. And this is what I encourage with any entrepreneur or person out there is like, just grow the right way. Just be smart. Do you wish you'd gotten someone with an MBA on board, do you feel like something like that would have helped just because your education is as an actor, you have some natural instincts for right. business, but I don't think anybody went to business school, right? No, I think uh, you, do you you're think right. Maybe like if you're someone who feels like I have an idea, I think this is really going to work, but that's not my expertise. Initially it's part of being smart saying, I'm going to add some other people to this team that might be able to see things that I don't see. A absolutely. I would, I would say for sure. Um, we had some members of the business that were, you know, made it, made it a little difficult. Gotcha. Right. Um, but yeah, we, should we have had someone with a real education in here handling our finances and operation who had done it before? Absolutely. Just trying to think if, if anyone's hearing this and thinking like, I want to start something and what are the lessons that I can learn when I hear like, God, we made some mistakes. What are they? You know, what are the yeah, solutions? Take your time, consult with a lot of people, talk to a lot before you start putting tremendous amount of time, energy, and money into something. Talk to a lot of people. And if, if also be careful who you partner with. I think that's a really difficult thing. We, you know, we had a number of partners. There was a number of moving, moving pieces that, that made it, um, everybody had some certain skills in certain areas, but it's not necessarily about the skills, it's about how well you work together. Um, trust is important, you know? So it's really, yeah, t take your time, be prepared, ask a lot of questions. Y you don't know what you don't know. Right. So you need to get someone who has a lot more experience to help you understand what those pitfalls might be so that you don't put yourself in a position where you're you're really in trouble or you're you're uh, you're above water. You're yeah. Below, below water. water. Yeah. Above water. That's where the drowning is. Yeah. Yeah. We want we don't want to drown. We're that's like that's what we're trying to avoid. We are an anti drowning podcast, but we are a pro we, LaCroix. We podcast. are sponsored by LaCroix. LaCroix. Hopefully sponsored by LaCroix. Enjoy LaCroix. Hopefully this bit people like it. Otherwise, they're just going to really be annoyed by this point. Um, we're gonna we're gonna cross our fingers and you know see where we go. Hashtag Lacroix. Um, so how does how do we go from the headshot truck to what's what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So so the headshot truck, you know, the the area where it had the most success was in the business professional side. So as this is really, I mean, as things have evolved over the years. Everything's gotten digital. Everything's gotten about personal branding, marketing, content, right? And the business professionals and the brands really loved our style of headshots. They were like, these are cool. Like I like the bright backgrounds and the way you, they, they don't seem stuffy like your yearbook photos that you would see on normal LinkedIn profiles. Sure. And so we sort of followed the money, right? We, I said, look, this is a really great opportunity for us. And so it became where um, the headshot truck really needed 
a professional brand, a business professional brand um, that was different than the headshot truck, right? The headshot truck was for actors primarily. This was pretty much for business professionals. So I don't want to show up in a big pink truck if you're going to go shoot a bunch of lawyers. Is that ge- generally, yeah, you're okay. right. Smart business. You're right. And we, we found out that a lot of the businesses prefer that we bring our setup inside. Like if they're on the 30th floor of a downtown LA building, sure. there's no parking, right? And they would rather, because they're making $500 an hour, it's much better for them if we bring our setup up, upstairs rather than them take 30 minutes to come down. Um, and so Capturely came out of that idea that we really wanted to continue to serve the business professional community to provide very efficient headshots, cost effective, similar to what we did with the actors, but just do it for businesses. And, and so luckily I was able to kind of move on from the headshot truck that was sold to Capturely, the new brand. And now we've just got an incredible team of very talented, smart people. You mentioned MBA, our CEO's MBA from Notre Dame. He's He's been there, done that. He's bought and sold businesses. We have an amazing creative team, um, chief creative officer. There's somebody to handle finances. All of those pieces of a business that you need to have in place, especially as me, someone that's more of a creative type, Yeah, you gotta have those other spokes of the wheel, you know? And so now we do. We have this great office. We're really excited. Capturely is all business professionals. But what it's been, it, so, so certainly excited about that whole process and, and where we're going with that. But what it's also allowed us the opportunity to do is, is keep Headshot Truck focused on actors. And I'm really excited for some of the things that we have coming up with yeah, Headshot Truck. New? What's new? Well, you know, I think for so long, the Headshot Truck brand was associated with, with, um, with commercial headshots primarily, right? And and we really want to step back and start talking with these acting studios and with these actors about what the perception of the headshot truck is, mm-hmm. what it has been, and think about how we can help be that, that headshot innovator in this industry. Um, that we really want to be. So we want to, we've been listening to actors. We've been asking difficult questions that may be hard for us to hear in terms of like experiences. Maybe people have had with the headshot truck or things, you know, maybe they think we can only shoot commercial headshots and we want to change that. We want to, we want to be what people need nowadays. And what we found is that headshots are being needed. They're needed more. You need more headshots now than you ever did, right? It used to be that... Yeah, once you're not printing some, now all of a sudden we could have so many online for all of our different characters and looks and essences and brands. All of that. Yeah, all of that. But headshots are still very expensive, right? If you want 10 different looks... Um, a lot of times you have to go to two or three different photographers. You're waiting a month or two or three to shoot with some of them. It's very expensive. Um, and if your agent's like, Hey, I need this look next week, where are you going to go? Right? So we've really listened to actors and understand that a lot more headshots are needed than there used to be. We want to try to keep them cost effective because everything's very expensive, right? We want to try to keep the cost effective. Um, and we're, we're starting to venture out into other types of headshots that aren't just studio lighting. So we have now a fully renovated studio in North Hollywood and it's beautiful district. Thank you. Um, so we, we were able to do studio setups in addition to the two trucks, we can do natural light in there, which we're starting to experiment with. We're going to be able to do outdoor stuff near the NoHo studio. So essentially we're going to be able to service actors that want any of those things, outdoor, natural light, 
natural light in studio, studio lighting. Um, we still have great packages that are cost effective that aren't, don't take too long. You're thinking about a subscription model too, right? Is that, yeah, I'm really excited. Cats out of the bag. Am I the cats out of the bag? No, it is something we're working on. It's definitely something we're working on. I think, you you know, I'm going to take a lesson from my own playbook and say, let's not launch something before it's really ready. (laughs) Sure. And, but, but I'm excited about it because the reality is, is actors need a lot of content. That's really what headshots are nowadays. It's, it's not just a headshot. You can use these photos for promoting anything and everything that you're doing. You're creating your own content, for your website, for your Instagram, for your it, YouTube, for exactly. everything. Yeah. All of that. Right. So with a subscription model, our goal is to be able to provide actors, not only with regular headshots that, that they might need. For example, if that agent says, I need that procedural shot from you and I need it for an audition next week, we could accomplish that. Um, but to provide you with regular content that you can use for your own self-promotion. Have you guys thought about doing slate shots? Yeah. Slate shots are great. I think, um, that's probably something we could do in studio mm-hmm. with the trucks. So the trucks run on generators ah. and they're loud. And so doing video in the trucks has been difficult. Now we do, because the trucks park here in our lot, we've now installed an outdoor, um, power station so that we can plug, plug the trucks into electrical. So we can't, we could actually do video on the truck, but video is a whole nother animal, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think it's, it's, it's easy to say like, Oh, you do photo, you can just do video. Right. But, but, but now you're dealing with sound, yep. you're dealing with much bigger files. So, so you want to like slow down and speed up at the same time. Well, slate shot seems like the natural one because people already do them as part of their, uh, at their self-tape setup at home or in a setup that looks a lot like a headshot background. Mm-hmm. And because there's by nature, you know, five, 10 seconds, the files much bigger than a, than a picture. But I feel like size wise, that's the, that's the bite sized video to jump into that people are often getting in addition to their headshots. Cause now yeah. that fills out the actor's access profile. I've got my resume, I've got my demo, I've got my pictures. And then it's the slate shots. We are doing so many of those in salon, brainstorming what people are going to say, what is the wardrobe for it, and on and on and on. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. I love, and that's the thing. I think we need to do a lot more of, which I'm excited about, is meeting with actors and, and actor salon and learning what what are you using this for? What are these things? This is great information for us um, because we want to be able to provide what actors are looking for. I think you know, headshot photography in general has been. It hasn't changed a whole lot over the last 10 or 15. I mean, yes, we went from black and white to color and, and you know, um, film to digital and now nothing's and being printed. to single shots and all that, right? Do you still have your uh, child headshots? I do. The, I, what do they look like? Ch- so child headshots, I don't know that I have anymore. What's the youngest headshot that you feel like you have? Or no, no, no. What's the youngest one you feel like you remember? So my dad was a photographer and he used to do them when we, I was like, I think when I started acting, I was maybe like 10 or 11 years old, maybe something like that. I looked, okay. I looked young, but the first one I remember, the first one I was really proud of was when I moved to Chicago and I shot with Brian McConkey, who was like the shit. He was like the dude <laughs> in always Chicago, Brian. Brian, oh, always a Brian. And I've got this black and white, you know, I'm like lay it like up against a wall we looking uh, real cool. Oh, so cool. Super angsty. So, like, oh, absolutely. I had the Brino smirk going. Yeah. And My so-called uh, life, eat your heart out. Oh, Mark Parr Gosseler, <laughs> like MPG, all of the, uh, absolutely. Um, Miles Per Gosseler. Miles Per Gosseler. Yeah. I like that. I don't know Turns out it's still 14. Um, so anyway. That, that's beautiful. I still have some of mine. 
I don't think I still have any of the composites. The fact that that was a big deal for a while is wild to me that you'd have like three different black and white shots all on all one in page. One. And like one of them would be a full body one with two different close-ups. And like, that's just so much on a page. It's so much happening and it's so much black and white. And then I have all of these that are absurd, like kind of Tom Sawyer, like by like a creek oh, black yeah. and white like it's my version of doing the um, Andy Griffith show or something god I have to see this at JRS we actually have a whole wall of all of the teachers and coaches are first headshots and it's fascinating because some people started young and some people started in the you know back in black and white days as adults and some people it's a very semi-recent shot and it is a remarkable wall of uh, history and nostalgia John had hair I bet a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Uh, sorry, John. Sorry. Well, there, actually, the main picture in the office of John is him with a Yanni wig on. So, um, oh, yes. Yeah, it's it's really something. But if you can find your headshot, maybe I can put the two of our uh, early headshots oh, yeah. on, a, on the Brian and Brian's. Absolutely. Um, so, headshot truck, Capture Lee, you're doing a lot of amazing stuff. Entrepreneurship, how do you feel like you? How does one become a good entrepreneur? Like, how did you really get started in this? You said your dad's a photographer, so that's somebody who runs his own business that's already dealing in visual mediums, and lo and behold, your business has to do with photography. What'd your mom do? Yeah, um, my dad, so my dad was a graphic designer. He was an original graphic artist back in the day. So he had a, like an advertising market. He was a madman. He was like a like an original madman ad exec and then became a graphic designer and artist. And so the photography was like just something he did on the side. Um, but I learned a lot from him. I, I think, you know, I was learning to draw logos and things when I was in grade school because I would come into his studio and he would show me what he was doing. It was awesome. My mom's completely opposite. She was a court administrator. Um, so she was like an accountant type. So I have my dad who's like this artist, entrepreneur, high risk, and my mom who's like as risk averse as it gets. Good team. Uh, it was a great team, honestly. Yeah, I was pretty lucky. But I definitely get... Most of my, my spunk and my drive and my willingness to take risks from my dad. Interesting. So you feel like this was something that you just grew up with. Was there anything where your brain got like tickled for the first time? For me, I remember, uh, I mean, it always, kind of, I feel like it sounds facetious when I say this, but reading Moneyball was like a really oh, yeah. like a big deal for me. And I was a big Oakland A's fan, which is why I read it. It wasn't because I thought, oh, I'm going to get into Michael Lewis at this moment in my life. But it was the question posed on the cover, which was how did the team with the lowest payroll win more games than the Yankees? And I was just like, what a good fucking question. Like, I've been enjoying this role for the past five years, but it never really occurred to me that this thing, you know, this team that basically has the sewage back up all the time because they don't have enough money to afford a good team. Right. Constantly losing players are, you know, winning more games than Derek Jeter. That doesn't actually make any sense to me. And then it turned out that it wasn't luck. It turned out it wasn't that we just like happened to luck into drafting the right players a few times, that there was this philosophy that came from, we are going to look at this, uh, I mean, in this case, a game, but we're going to look at this marketplace and we are realizing that there's huge inefficiencies here and that there is a way to adapt and be smarter than other people and actually have that turn into results. And that just was mind bogglingly cool to me. And I'm sure the in was baseball, but that affected the way I looked at everything the rest of my life, I feel like, in terms of, oh, everyone's zigging, my job should be to zag, or everyone thinks that whatever the most popular thing is, the odds are that's probably not the only answer right now. The probability is that that popularity is selling itself right now. And yeah. that 
is a fundamental thing that led to all the skills that helped create actors so long and, and on and on in my life. Right. So I feel like there's this origin story for me. And then I read the four hour work week and the idea of like outsourcing my life blew my mind. So I'm wondering, were there ever any like books or questions or like inspirations for you to kind of, uh, stoke the fire of your entrepreneurship? Yeah, I mean, I think my dad was the biggest influence, honestly, um, because he really taught me how to break those things down that you mentioned, sort of the market potential. Um, I was I was a young kid selling anything I could, whether that was golf balls on the golf course to like candy at school or whatever. And I learned about margin, right? <laughs> I learned about like opportunity cost. I learned about things in the real world doing them. And so my dad would tell me, okay, so like, here's, here's what you actually did. Here's what that really means in the real world. So and business. what would you do with golf balls? Let me hear this story. So golf, I lived across the street from a golf course and I would, uh, go into the woods and in the creeks at the golf course where these golfers would hit their golf balls on accident. So I would just basically get their golf balls and then go to the tee and sell them back to them. Did you clean them off first or did you just Yeah, absolutely clean them off. Clean them off. I had I had different different uh certain golf balls were worth more money. Um and then I was a gambler too. I when I was a, when I was younger at the golf course, I would actually bet these golfers that I could outdrive them. Um Beautiful. so I won a little yeah, and I turned in like a little poker player and gambler. So did so, you uh rope and dope them? Like would you lose once and then hustle them and no double down no just, okay. so there's morality behind this yeah too. there's morality behind. what it, were the right? margins on the golf balls i imagine pretty good it was like I mean, costing a great margin year old's well, time it's it's it was about time it really was it was more about that like how much time are you going to put into this versus what is the return and so it helped me determine how much i was going to charge for my golf balls how much did you charge for a golf ball 25 cents to a dollar depending on the ball okay you know what were the fancy balls like titleist top flights like if they were like new right like somebody just hit it in it's a brand new ball mm-hmm. it's great those were like yeah you your different tiers of, of did you negotiate balls. with people or did you not accept o- negotiation? occasionally i would yeah occasionally if they were like they were unsure i'd be like we'll do three for two for a dollar did they like you or did they like hate you they loved it they loved it i was this little spunky ass <laughs> i can't kid. imagine whether it's like is this uh, alex p keaton or is this like dennis the menace like that's what i'm trying to see the difference no you're it's a great question i think more alex p i hope more alex p keaton <laughs> uh michael j fox was always you know yeah i was like loved him but um that's Alex P. Keaton, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I was making sure I did that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like one thing. I always just learned about value, about how to talk to people. That's mm-hmm. really what lent me lent to me with the acting too is just being able to have interpersonal communication, and learn and ask the right questions about what people are looking for and need, and then you can find those voids in the marketplace. You can it, w- when you're doing something that's you like God, this, why is this so hard? And then you really want to figure out the answer. That's kind of what I did. I was like. Why are headshots so expensive? Why do they have to take forever? The headshot truck. Like, gotcha. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like how do we how do we fill that need? What was the candy that you sold? How old are you here? Uh, this was in middle school. Um, Snickers were big. Snickers. Full Snickers. Tiny Snickers. Full Snickers. I'm okay. all, full Snickers all Our the time. Kids. Full Snickers all the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a good life motto. Yeah. Uh, how are kids as customers compared to adults? I didn't really have any adult customers. No, no, but you had the adult customers on the golf balls. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. had a different kind of clientele. It was a different transaction. Was it? Yeah. Is that 
were they tougher audience or were they more happy to spend their money because they were like, hey, I got this allowance. I'm just going to get. No, they were pretty happy. Yeah, I think the kids were more happy to spend their money than the adults were for the most part. It was really just a matter of need. Like, hey, if you need, I have what you need. Supply and demand. Wow. You were the candy dealer. Yeah. I did that in sixth grade, actually. I went to a new school for one year. I did not fit in. I felt very uncomfortable. And for me, it was definitely a little bit spiteful, but I got from Costco one of those giant things of the sour gummy worms, and I would just bring it. And I would make people pay me, like, I think it was like, I think it was 50 cents for two worms. For t- how, how would they pick out their worms? Were you like, hand, like with their hands? You know, it was, I, I don't we didn't really think about that at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was a lot of packaging is important, Brian. Well, not at the time I was making tons of money. Those Costco oh, wow. bags were like $5 and they had, like, were they individually wrapped or they were like, no, they were just like just, a giant, just bag, a giant bag of, of sugar. Oh my God. Wow. And eventually I got told that I had to stop doing that. Or I'd be asked to leave the school. Really? And a couple of people, I remember very specifically this one kid who didn't like me from the get go. And I don't know if that was deserved or not. I barely remember, but remember he said, no, that's like way too much. I said, cool, for you, it's a dollar. And he Whoa. paid that shit. And that was power. And I enjoyed that. So. That's a, that, now, that's amazing. So, you know, you I can bring me to a negotiation. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Um, so for people who aren't good at selling things or don't feel like they know, I mean, we're, the number of actors who do not realize they are in the business of selling the product that is themselves is wild to me. Yeah. Are there some lessons about sales that you feel like you've picked up along the way? Absolutely. I, I think you have, first of all, you have to get yourself out there. I think that's the biggest thing is, is in order to, in order to meet people, you have to meet people and that, but it's crazy, right? We all think like the auditions will come or whatever, get, get out there and really be yourself. I think that's one thing, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like actors were already trying always trying to kind of play a character, mm-hmm. but the reality is like it, what they really want to see is you. And that doesn't mean like, with the, um, it doesn't mean you have to be a character at all times, right? It's just when you're meeting someone, they, they really want to see who you are. And I think a lot of the most successful actors are just really, really great at being themselves. That's why it's risky. And that's why it's vulnerable. You are absolutely right. It's not a fucking repertory company. It's not like we need you to play the old man and the business person and the ingenue and the wicked witch. We need you to play we need you to be you. That's the only thing that's going to book you a job is you. Everyone else is taken already. There's so many actors out now and we can, we can do a search around the entire world. We're right. going to find the right person for the job. It's going to be the person who actually is willing to share some of themselves. That is going to be the person who actually books that job. How, so this is a great question, Ryan. How, how do you, did it take you a long time to figure out that you just needed to be you? I feel like I had trouble not being me. I feel like um, I had trouble, like my, my special skill as an actor was always uh, a really like a, an easy, easily tapped emotional life. You needed the kid who was going to like freak out and cry a lot. That was you. That was me. That was yeah. my specialty. I have done a lot of things where bad things have happened to me and I was, I had trouble not sharing every feeling I had as a kid. Yeah. I was like a crybaby. I wore red on my sleeve. If like a friend hurt me on the playground, I'd be like, why did you do this to me? Where other kids are mm. learning to play it cool. Right. I never, I missed that skill. And so I feel like part of it was always that I had trouble not saying what was true. 
But like the idea of the character is like, yeah, some Daniel Day Lewis is gonna like create a walk and a and the way that he talks, and he's gonna get a year to prepare that and create something that right. is honest, and it's gonna be something that that individual honestly created. But if you are auditioning for co-stars and guest stars and, and most series regulars, you are getting. 24, 48 hours to prepare an audition that there's no time to create something true that's that's foreign from you. Yeah. The thing that makes you the character is that you're truthfully doing things that you wouldn't normally do. Like, if it's me, but I'm a lawyer, guess what? I'm already part of the way to the character because I'm not a lawyer. So, like, yeah. once I am the lawyer who also, like, embezzles from the company, guess what? Like, by doing those things and by having the relationships that, that person has and the points of view that they have, I'm doing it already. Right. And so, like, the truth is, how do you truthfully do it? I, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how simple that is yet seems so difficult for people to wrap their heads around actors. Right. I've, I, I know for me, um, it's so important to know your casting, right? Oh God, yes. And I think that's, that's one thing I learned in business for sure. But as an actor, I had said, I always wanted to do character work, but I wasn't going to get cast in a character role, like period. Like what is the type of role that you would have wanted? Um, so I one 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 thing I did book that you coached me on, which was um, which was one of my favorite roles I've ever done, was playing a man who gives his daughter away to join a cult, right? Mm-hmm. But that's like so foreign from what I would typically cast by. And then, um, boy, there's so many that I did. Yeah. But do you consider do you consider that character work in your mind? Is that the is that the character I mean, kind of italicized? Th- that's that you're... that's like the expansion of what maybe a character that I would that I could book. See, because the thing that's interesting to me is that do I buy you as somebody who could have a daughter? Yes, I do. Do I buy you as somebody who would do whatever it took in his mind to the best of his abilities to take care of her or to, uh, if you want to use a terrible word, like fix her or or right. aid her circumstance? Absolutely. You seem like an intelligent, grounded person. You seem loving. There's an all American vibe about you, like. To me, that seems no different than someone who like takes their kid to church because they're you know acting up or something like that. It's not what I would do, but I can right. absolutely put that on you. And it's like, great, bring Brian Confort to this and make Brian Confort give someone away to a fucking cult, and there's your character. I, I love it. I, I completely. You know, I wonder if having a theater background can be in some ways hurtful god yes to your okay good i'm so glad (laughs) well look i think if people are doing theater in the best right best way and right way it is very honest but i think a lot of people doing high school theater are not being honest they are indicating and projecting and showing and they're getting applauded for and they're being told what to do and yeah if you're in high school and you play the old man what are you gonna do of course you're gonna like do a walk i played selsden in noises off and it was Hello, I'm Selston. Lovely to meet you. Oh, I'm asleep. It's, yeah, it's so fun, but that's clowning. Right. You know, that's not acting. No, I know. But 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 you you do. You kind of have to unlearn a lot of the things that you learned in theater school, maybe when, it's, when you start doing film and television. Yeah. And um, it's sometimes it's hard to let go of those things. Oh, absolutely. We're so programmed for what we think acting is and what itch it's scratching for us and when we first got uh, appreciated for it and told that it was good or the first thing that we saw that we thought was good and we're also uh, affected by how we felt as audience members that a lot of times I think actors are trying to have a catharsis of what it felt like to be an audience member I want to feel like I did watching The Notebook so I'm going to push in this love scene it's like no 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 you got to be in it and let them have those feelings yeah that's amazing I you know when you ask sort of, why do you want to be an actor? I don't think anybody ever, maybe they ask like, why do you want, 
when you when you ask someone why do you want to be an actor what is the response is it most people i think don't know well it depends how old you're asking i think the younger people are um i would say this is i didn't know and i thought i did my answer would have just been i love it it would have been that simple and cut and dry and i did love it but it was like the first place i felt good at something it was the first place Mm -hmm. that i felt like i got attention in a way that i liked it was a place to put all of my emotion it was a place where someone would tell me what to do and i would get applauded for it right it gave me so much structure like also it was fun to act, but if you don't realize all the other shit you're bringing to the table, you don't realize what other itches need to get scratched for you. And sometimes you need that to come from your social life, your romantic life, your day job, your hobbies. Right. If you want to get a job doing it. That takes such a level of awareness. I think that a lot of actors, a lot of people don't really have, right? Like you just, you just broke down beautifully. What, what is behind all of the acting? right behind you, Brian Norris. And that's amazing. I think that's so brilliant that, yeah, I think you've just, you've really got to understand who you are because that's the only way you can really bring everything to the table. So often actors say, well, that's getting me in my head. And I understand why that isn't helpful in the moment when you're in a rehearsal or in, or audition coaching. But if you are not thinking and kind of trying to figure out what is true to me or what would be true to this person in this moment, if you're not really experienced it that of course that's going to put you in your head like that's a that's that's there's an emotional process to that but there's a mental process to that as well but i think that just kind of comes with the territory one of the things that we really love in class that i make my class do all the time is we do personal stories because people are acting all the time and one of my favorite exercises is we shot an audition in class and then each person, one by one, would go up, they'd do the audition, we'd turn the camera off, they'd have to tell us a personal story that felt somehow thematically related to what the scene was about. And then right after they're done, wherever they are, you turn the camera back on, you put it right back on them, and the scene is infinitely more honest and infinitely more interesting. And all of a sudden, people are actually listening and actually responding and surprising themselves because they're not trying to control a scene, they are actually experiencing a true emotional life and responding through that. And it's mind blowingly cool to watch people do that. That's so brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I love the most about being in class. I mean, I love doing the work myself, but watching others work and watching those subtle shifts and changes in them and having it come out that's so beautiful and then wanting to jump up and do not what they did, right? But like, I want to feel that. I want to see that change. And Man, that's great. Well, it's hard not. It's hard in that case because then you're trying to do what someone. You're trying to feel what you felt watching someone, right? Else, rather than I want to do what they did, and it's, it's really hard to separate those things yeah. and to even understand what those different ingredients are. You know, I interrupted you a little bit. Do you have any other advice? Basic tenets of selling. You said you got to get out there more. You got to figure out where the people are and meet them. But is there anything that you feel like most actors that you meet or most people kind of don't get about the concept of? being in sales. Hmm. Um, a lot of people think it's easy, right? I mean, it's sort of like acting. A lot of people think that oh, it's, it's like getting in front of a camera, like no problem. But it, in a way it is, it's, it, it's, it's connecting, right? I think a lot of times it's like, think sales is reading a script and taking an order. And it's no different than reading a, 
reading a script for for a film and and feeling like you can go do it it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of time for me see i'm a different kind of salesperson i think than 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 lots i i much prefer to have connection with someone and a real conversation i'm not i don't want to sell them something i want to provide a solution i want to be like this is actually this is what we do if it's for you awesome if it's not awesome see i love that you say that because you said it earlier and i wanted to circle back to this you said i want to figure out what people need you said that earlier about yeah. products in general and you said that about the headshot truck we want to figure out what people need that's the idea of sales is you don't sell what exactly you, right what you just dream to sell you find out what you're what the people who are going to buy need and want and then you try to make your product the best that that it is yeah now you're in and, and I, this book that we just read free prize inside from seth godin it is incredible because you yeah it talks about purple cows and free prizes right and it's really it's really what it's about it's about the purple cow you want to be the purple cow right can you tell people what the purple cow is purple cow is is a lot of times comes from soft innovation but it's it's that thing that your customers really come back to you for right so in in our case for example like the headshots are great for sure but is that are they coming back to us because our headshots are so much better than any other headshot photographer out there? Probably not. But what they are coming to us for is efficiency, cost effective. I don't know, you know, I can see the photos in real time on the monitor. It's those soft innovations that put together the entire piece of, of the package that you're offering, right? Um, and all your innovations match where the rest of the world is gone. It's way more on demand. It's way more of a quick fix. Right. It's way more about like get the bite sized thing you need rather than the jig. It's moving out of an office space in theory and into a much smaller mobile concept. I mean, that's, that's what happened to television. That's what happened to so many different industries. And you have to be willing to pivot. I think that's the hardest thing with, with people in general and careers is like your willingness to pivot, your willingness to change course based on new information. It's very difficult for very large businesses to do that. And I think that's an area where we're really in trying to prove, improve under Capturely, which is providing us with a tremendous amount of support, a whole new system, all of that. We really want to take the time now that we didn't take before. We came up with some really great products and services, but to meet with actors, to meet with studios, to find out what actors need now, to find out what are the trends in headshots? What are What is casting looking for? What are the new platforms, apps, systems that are being used that need updating or some sort of innovation? And if we can help to make the actor's life easier and better and provide them with the content they need or, or whatever that might be, that's really what we're trying to do. Um, and I'm excited about it. It's a noble and awesome goal. I have uh, one last question for you, which is what are the trends that you're seeing right now? Like where do you think headshots are going to be five years from now? It's a great, it's a great question. I think what I, what I, I'm seeing a lot of video going on and I think the, the slate shots is a great start to that, but I think we're going to continue to see the visual medium, uh, photos in general become much more about about much more about content rather than just like that one headshot that you have for, for a long period of time. Um, you know, LA casting has had such a, and casting networks had such a stranglehold on, on casting for so long, which is fine. Right. I think they're doing a lot of great things, but, um, I'm really curious to see how casting is now reaching out, uh, to actors, how actors can get in front of casting in a different way. Because as you know, right, when somebody submits for a role, thousands of submissions on these thumbnails. So 
what are the ways that I can get my face, my headshot, in front of casting now or tomorrow? Is it, you know, I people I know people who reach out through Facebook, right? But if you're reaching out through Facebook or through LinkedIn or one of these other mediums, you're going to lead with a profile photo. Mm-hmm. What does that photo say about you, right? You People make a decision, people make a judgment in 40 nanoseconds from seeing your photo, right? That fast, which is why casting blows through these headshots so quickly. So what we're trying to do is we've created these sort of four pillars of a great headshot. And it's really comes down to making somebody look confident, competent, approachable, or trustworthy, right? Or not and. Or not those things. Or not those things. Right? Like the opposite of. Okay. Right? Wait, list those four again. Confident, competent, approachable, and trustworthy. I like that because if you inverse all of them, then that's like kind of eight types. Right. And you can kind of figure out, well, what my essence is, my, my basic brands. And Salon, we talk about as your Coke and your Diet Coke. You right. Know, those like basic things that people would associate with you. Which of those, those kind of fit in? And then you kind of take that headshot. Yeah, absolutely. Idea. Yeah. Do and, your homework. I think that's, that's one thing we see a lot, I think, on the, on, on the headshot side. We work with a lot of new actors, but actors that are working as well is when you're coming in to get a headshot, like be prepared, you know, have all of your types laid out, understand what those are. You know, our team does a consultation with you to like talk through that before your headshot session, but bring in photos of other headshot photographers that you like, or bring some that you're like, I don't want to look like that. Or find out how they're dressing that character on television and get a screenshot of that. Thing. Absolutely. The, the more reference material, the more prepared the actor is, the better experience you're going to have with your photographer. So preparation means know, know your looks, know what you kind of characters or brands you're trying to sell, have good wardrobe options that are mostly picked out. Yeah. Do we say double the amount, bring double the amount of outfits as you have looks. And then what about during the actual session? I mean, obviously you're not the photographer and that's partially their job to help get good pictures out of people. But do you have any advice or things that you've learned about what makes people tend to feel alive and warm during that versus, uh, you know, stiff and indicating? Yeah, it, it does take a lot of warm up and it really takes the right kind of photographer a lot of times to, to make those people feel comfortable. I think that's, that's one thing that's really nice about the truck because it's so contained, it feels very safe and warm. You know, sometimes when you're outside, I've, you know, we've seen people, I've taken headshots outside too, and there's people walking by and it's really easy to get in your head and be intimidated mm-hmm. or feel uncomfortable. But that's something that we really strive to do is help people feel comfortable um, because it's going to show ultimately in the photos. I love it. Well, I am out of LaCroix. Oh, which is this was enjoyable it LaCroix was though. Delicious, I enjoyed though. LaCroix. Know, if they sponsored this, I feel like we would have more right now. We might even have some of that watermelon flavor. Do they have a ginger LaCroix? Well, wouldn't that be perfect? Wouldn't that I'd wear the t-shirt. I would wear it all I'd, the time. I don't know if ginger LaCroix actually that sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds god awful. I feel like I'm holding tangerine LaCroix right now. It's close enough, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, this is good enough. It yeah. is, yeah. Stop giving them bad ideas. I'm trying right, to get my them bad. sponsors. My bad. Come on. I'm Damn always it. business developing. Yeah, well, some they're not all winners, right? Some no, of them they're are. definitely not all winners. Um, Brian Confer, thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you and uh, and capture Lee in the headshot truck, what is the best way to do that? So uh, certainly visit our website, headshottruck.com for actors, capturely.com for business professionals. Uh, shoot me an email. Happy to, happy to respond to email. 
email, uh, brian at capturely.com. And we have a studio. We have a NoHo studio. We just launched. We're going to have this fun event. Brian Norris has come out. But 4924 Vineland in the NoHo Arts District is our studio. What's the event? Um, we're going to have like an open house. We're going to have like a soft launch or maybe a big launch studio event. We want, uh, we want some people that have been amazingly supportive of us over the years to come out and have some drinks and take some amazing. photos and... Sounds great. Let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. And your Instagram for the truck is? At Headshot Truck. At Capturely. But at Headshot Truck for actors. At Headshot Truck. Shoot with them. Get some good shots. Come Fill out. out your Actors Access profile. And we have we have an Industry Town promo. We have an Industry Town promo. This will also be in the show notes. But please quickly tell us what this is. Industry 10. Industry 10 gets you 10% off. 10% off. Let's do, Yeah. You are this in just sales. happened. I, I just made a heck of a deal. Guys, this is breaking news right here. I'm hearing it firsthand from the headshot truck hey. man himself. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Take advantage of it. Please shoot some shots. Get some amazing ones. Um, tag us on social media with those shots. Share those yes, things. Yes, please. And, uh, and we'll give it some love. So, uh, Brian Cover, thank you very much. Brian Norris, thank you. And that's it for today. Thank you, Brian Confer. Um, thank you to our presenting sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios. And most of all, as always, thank you to you for listening. I hope you get beautiful, amazing headshots from the headshot truck. I hope you check out JRS for your acting class and coaching needs. I hope you check out that free audit with Actor Salon. And I hope you vote. <laughs> as always, if you're digging the show, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media and share with your friends. Um, we'll be off next week for the election, but back in November with new episodes. Until then, stay safe, stay creative, and go vote.